more than 100 unique styles of beer, each with their own set of ingredients, process, guidelines, history, and experience. If you're a beer lover, an industry leader, or somewhere in between, a better knowledge of beer style will improve your life and your work. Welcome to A Sense of Beer Style, essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. I'm Julia Herz. And I'm Jeremy Storton. We're advanced Cicerones, beer judges, home brewers, and we're excited to guide you through the vast and wonderful world of beer styles. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me and Jeremy Storton for A Sense of Beer Style. And today we are going to be talking about one of my favorite styles, although they all are, as Jeremy and I will both say, right? They're always they're always some of our favorites. And when you get to dive in, it's even more fun. We hope you have an example of a vice beer with you. And if not, then just listen along and salivate and then go get yourself one, right? Um, Jeremy is opening one right now. I'm going to open one after I stop the introduction and stop talking. But the German wheat beer category has multiple examples. It kicks it off with vice beer. And, you know, vice means white, right? Paler color. There's a lot of lingo. You've heard Weizen that's tied to this style too. That means wheat. Um, sometimes you hear Hefe, that means yeast. Sometimes you hear Er, that means original. So there's all these little German um, words that really weave in and out of the style that goes way back to the 1500s when it was so popular because German royalty basically tried to monopolize it and you and only have it available for Bavarian royalty, so to speak. Um, but then in the late 1800s, 1872 is referenced, you've got Schneiderweiss, right? Um, I have an example here um, that uh, is the original. It is one of the Ur's. Jeremy got it too, because if you're yes. going to be talking about this style, right? Weiss beer, you're going to get yourself mm -hmm. some Schneiderweiss. And so that's really important. And they kind of brought this beer style um, more to the masses. Um, and then in the 1960s, we have uh, more advancement because of what was going on with um, air dried malt. Um, and I will just say that there is different brewing process, decoction mashing sometimes is used. That's a more advanced um, version of taking off a part of your boil, concentrating it and then putting it back. Um, lower ale temperatures. And we'll talk about some of that when we talk about the flavor. This is the style, Jeremy, that you probably too learned about for VG, for vinyl call, which yep. is ferulic acid. It comes from the wheat malt, which is the majority of what is fermented in these styles. Um, gives you essence of cloves and, clove and spice, and it's a precursor to vanilla in, which is a chemical compound also extracted when you barrel age beers, but these beers are absolutely not barrel aged. Um, and it comes from the kilning of that uh, wheat malt. So there's a lot of complexity for such a light style. And so with that advanced setup, um, Jeremy, why don't you start to take us into what, you know, typical ingredients are for this beer? Yeah. And so, yeah, this is an absolutely fun style with a with a story that's kind of reminiscent of Game of Thrones when you go back far enough with all the power and the influence. And, the you know, if, if you think about the um, the uh, the Reinheitsgebot and you're supposed to use um, malt and, and yeast and and uh, uh and I'm thinking hops is what I'm forgetting, ironically. Um, there's the story of, like you said, it was just, it was all, it was all um, uh, the royalty that, that, that had the power to use all this stuff. What really comes down to is when we finally start drinking this is this beer is really wonderful and unique. Um, unlike any other 
beer from the standpoint is um, uh, they're using uh, wheat malt at a minimum of 50% uh, to really get that uh, flavor we'll talk about in a minute. But sometimes it can be even up to 70%. If anyone, if any of you have ever homebrewed or brewed before, you know, you hear wheat malt at uh, greater than 50%. And already I hope you're sweating because because wheat malt doesn't have any holes on the outside, doesn't have any like, you know, uh, husks around the edge to act as a filter. That stuff likes to gum up and just be a big old glob. And so uh, wort doesn't like to flow through there. So um, so that is a very special beer that's hard to brew and you can get a stuck mash with this pretty easily. Some of the things that um, I've heard of some people do, and I don't know how traditional this is going all the way back, but you can use rice holes to kind of help uh, with that with that uh, filter bed. So sometimes you'll see rice holes in the in the um, in the grist, but not for flavor, not for anything else, but just the sheer logistics of filtration. Um, and with this, uh, you after the uh, wheat malt, then you'll have a pilsner malt uh, to kind of fill in the gaps, whatever percentage is left over. Um, and naturally, they will use a the the noble uh, German hops, but they're using them so sparingly that you're not going to get much, if any hot bitterness or flavor out of this. This is really a yeast and malt driven style. Um, that being said, process wise, they typically decoct these. So you get that richness um, uh, out of it that we've talked about in other podcasts. Um, and then naturally what really makes this extra, extra special is their particular type of uh, Weizen ale yeast that really kicks off um, esters of banana and uh, phenols of clove. And it's just a very distinct, beautiful, beautiful beer. Um, but those are the ingredients you can expect out of a beer like this. Let's talk about what it looks like because you've got that beautiful glass in front of you, Julia. Yep. And way to set the stage. Appearance is always pretty straightforward. You're looking for a very robust collar of foam. Um, thick and moussey is what the style guidelines will say. Moussey, you totally get it right here. Not collapsing too quickly. Long lasting white collar of foam. Um, you can often have an haziness. Mine is a little more clear because I did not rouse my bottle. Rousing would be the act of rolling the bottle on its side before it's served. So the yeast sediment actually is roused and um, served with the beer in the mixture and in solution. Um, good uh, source of vitamin and, and minerals, vitamins and minerals. Uh, but this one really <laughs> is a little more clear because I didn't rouse it. Um, so you're looking for pale straw to golden color. This is a little darker than gold, certainly. Um, but that's that's what it looks like. What um, what does it smell like to you? Oh, I'm so, so lucky that I got to talk about the aroma. Um, the aroma in these beers, this, like I said, these are very distinct and you can smell them from a mile away. Um, right, right out of the gate, right out of the glass, you're going to get this wonderful medium to even a, a high just clove and banana um, uh, aromas coming out. If you're thinking... Uh, the beer version of banana bread, then you're then you're right on track. That's what this beer makes me think of. It's just the banana bread of the beer world. Um, but uh, but so we're getting right into the esters and, and and the phenols right off the gate. So this is a very yeast driven uh, beer. Malt is going to follow it up with a, a kind of a low to medium, you know, bready, greeny wheat malt. Wheat is different from barley malt from the standpoint that. Uh, think about like if you've ever smelled uh, like pizza dough 
or wet bread dough. To me, that's what wheat smells like. And I almost get almost like a kind of a lemony um, character out of it as well from the aroma and in the flavor. And that's how I can identify a wheat malt versus a barley malt. And so this beer is also going to have that kind of wet bread dough character, a little bit of like lemon coming out when I'm thinking about the malt. You shouldn't get much, if any, uh, uh, hops out of this. Uh, if you get a little bit, that's totally fine. If you get a lot, that's not a German, uh, a German uh, wheat beer. It's that's just too much. Um, you can get a little bit of vanilla out of this too. And in previous versions of the uh, BJCP guidelines, they talked about a little bit of bubblegum flavor is okay. In these new guidelines of 2021, there's no more bubblegum. Um, and frankly, a little bit of hubba bubba in my glass is not a bad thing, but you should not get bubblegum. You should not get berries. You should not be sour, should not be smoky. Um, and one other uh, aroma and flavor I get often is a little bit of like matchstick. That should not be there. Um, and, and and so, that, you know, those are, that's what a typical uh, uh, ca category of this, of this beer should be like. Uh, Taste-wise, however, Julia, anything to add to that as far as flavor goes? Yeah, and everything you just described falls into the flavor, uh, although in aroma, you're not going to get an essence of bitterness that's dependent on on the taste. So these beers are very low to moderately yeah, yeah. low bitterness. Um, and you can, as Jeremy said, get some hops, German noble hops, but it's optional and very, very low. But if you did get it in the flavor, it's floral, spicy, classic German noble um, hop type of flavor. And so I am looking to describe this and I love that, you know, the banana bread of beer is fantastic. <laughs> and especially with that, um, that isoamyl acetate is one of the esters of this Weizen ale yeast um, or vice beer yeast. So if you think about yeasts, you have usually ale and lager, right? Um, but there's many different types of Saccharomyces yeast and Weizen or Weiss yeast is it classified as a different style yeast, even though it's classified as an ale. So it's traditionally fermented in the lower 60s. If you're a home brewer or professional brewer listening to this, so you get it. And that's to discourage some of those too high, you know, esters, too high essence of banana, uh, not banana, too high essence of uh um, the bubble gum that Jeremy references, and to also coax out, allowing for some of those clove um, and vanilla phenols to come through. So if you ferment this at the right temperature, you're going to get a beautiful mixture of both phenols and esters, and those display both in the aroma and then carry over into the flavor. And then the only other thing I would say is it's definitely not um, a sweet, uh, heavy finish. Uh, this could be perceived even in the mid-taste as medium dry. Uh, and then you're going to have some ethanol, a little bit of sense of the weight of the beer, but this is a very sessionable beer in terms of alcohol levels. And so um, I love falling into from flavor to mouthfeel. So what do you got, yeah. Jeremy? Well, so for mouthfeel, this is a very fun beer to study when you're trying to get a good handle on mouthfeel because this beer uh, really is a medium low to medium bodied beer. Um, but... That being said, because of the decoction mashing, you can get this sense of elegance. Because of the uh, proteins from the wheat in this moussey head, you can get another fun word I love to describe beers, this fluffy, creamy texture. Um, and that gives a presence or gives a perception of being a fuller bodied. Um, these beers are also 
pretty high, uh, high to very high, car highly carbonated. Um, and average beers, two to two and a half uh, volumes of CO2. These can be up to four, um, you know, right around three and a half, uh, four. So there's a lot of carbonation coming out of this glass. And so that also affects your perception of the mouthfeel. So it's kind of fun to think about it from the weight and viscosity of your body, the texture of it, the prickle and the uh, uh, spritziness of the carbonation and really separate and um, those those concepts out and really consider the story that the beer is telling you. Um, Mouthfeel wise, uh, that's what I've got, but let's talk about uh, how to differentiate them uh, this from different styles. Yeah, and you are gonna differentiate this and really quick in one form of differentiation tied to an example of where this style stands alone. There's not many styles in the style guidelines that really call for above three volumes of CO2. Uh, Jeremy mentioned in the two volumes of CO2. This is so highly carbonated that this and several um, Belgian beer styles are going to take you into that higher range. And so that's a really good one to emphasize. Also, two real quick sensory wise, I have now roused the bottle, poured the yeast, the last little bit into my glass, and now it's not clear. You can see that kind of cloudiness um, and haze, and that's very acceptable. And so I think that's important to note is that even if you don't rouse it before you pour it, you can have that last little sip give you a dose of those um, that yeast sediment. And uh, yeah, so I I love this style, but it is not an American wheat, which was inspired by um, the uh, German Weiss beers. American wheat, you might be used to seeing that. Classic uh, breweries uh, such as Widmer Brewing really um, set the style for the American wheat version. What the American wheat version really lacks is a lot of those yeast characteristics um, that are truly classic from the German examples. Um, these also can be served with a lemon, a slice of lemon might be traditionally um, seen more particularly in the American serving of that. So you've just got a um, cleaner version for American wheat. Then you have a more yeasty banana bread, clove, um, estuary uh, type of beer for the German example. And, uh, you know, then we've got Dunkel's Weiss beer, which we're excited to cover, certainly in a style cast. And that um, is going to be darker, Dunkel's meaning dark. Um, so this uh, Weiss beer is paler and it is less malt richness and flavor because of the darker malts that are added to the Dunkel will give it more um, essence of uh, uh, higher temperature kilned malts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if I can take it away with the commercial examples, because this is yeah. kind of fun. So these, um, so like, like Julie just said, there's a big difference between American wheat beers or even American beers called Hefeweizen, um, and the German versions. Now these German versions, uh, typically come from Bavaria around Munich. Uh, and, and so if you see a German version, especially a Bavarian version that has Weiss or Weizen or something like that, you're, you're definitely on the right track. Um, if it's, particularly if it's a brewery from or around Munich. Uh, good examples would be the Eyinger Brauweiss, the Distelhauser uh, Hellweizen, uh, Hackershore from Munich, of course, they're a Hefe, uh, Hefeweiss beer, um, Hofbräuhaus, uh, the, uh, the Munchner, and of course the original Schneiderweiss. Uh, Georg Schneider got the rights from the royalty in 1872 and has been uh, uh, brewing um, these uh, German Weiss beers since. Um, have, have a I'm sorry. Uh, Vine Stefaner is another one that's usually easy to uh, usually easy to be found. One of my particular favorites, the first German Weiss beer that I've ever had, 
um, was worked at a restaurant. Another one that should be on the list is Franciscaner. Oh, that beer is beautiful when it's done right. The big thing to remember for these is that these beers do not age well. So the the fresher you can get them and the closer to the source, the better off you're going to be. Um, so uh, when in Munich, grab a Weiss beer. Um, those are the commercial examples. Let's talk about some numbers, Julia. Yep, and really important to mention that freshness. Pay attention. Some beer styles or, or brands have the freshness date on the bottle. So that's a really, really good one. Um, and if you do have to choose between bottle and draft for this style, go for the draft because that's commonly more mm -hmm. fresh. Uh, so for vital statistics, which is always helpful in our beer studies, appreciation and understanding, you've got original gravity of a very modest level, 1044 to 1053, and then final gravity of 1008 to 1014. Anything below 1010 to me is always showcasing a little bit drier, but still has some residual sugar. 1014 on that end gets a little sweeter, um, but the ABV based on those two um, ranges brings us in at 4.3% alcohol by volume to 5.6%. So clearly very sessionable, very palatable, um, and light on the tongue is, is the whole point, and palate and fresh, as Jeremy said. Um, international yeah. bitterness units, it's not very uh, bitter-centric, as, as I discussed in the flavor overview. 8 to 15 IBUs. 8 is barely discernible. 15 is starting to get a sense, but it's very, very light on the bitterness. And then standard reference method or SRM is 2 to 6, with some styles certainly going above that. Uh, 6 being gold, yeah. 2 to be very the palest of pale, straw colors, hay color, and the like. And that's that's the vitals. So what kind of glass, Jeremy? I've got one in my hand. And what kind of temperature do you uh, serve this at? Well, before we go there, can I just add one thing? Because, again, I, I'm a visual studier, a visual learner. And when and, and I've talked about this in other style casts. When we look at the ABVs of, of a lot of the German beers and the Vienna lagers, um, we see that pattern of for the ABV, roughly four and a half to five and a half. This one follows that pretty well. IBUs for a lot of those are roughly 20 to 30. But remember this beer, this particular beer is more yeast driven and has the, has the acidity, the uh, carbonation, the phenols to balance the malt, not the hops. So you can expect the IBUs on this beer to fall just below that scale a little bit. So we get closer to uh, eight to 15 um, for this. And that's where it, it does follow the pattern. When you understand the beer and you think about what's going on there, then it's easy to remember these numbers and place them in, in their scale. Um, and Julia, did we talk about, uh, gravities? Um, final gravity and original gravity. Yes. Okay. Um, I thought I missed that. Maybe it's because I was sipping on this beautiful, beautiful beer that is very distracting. Um, okay. let's talk about glasses. Um, while I talk about it, Julia, I'm going to ask you to hold up your beer because uh, you have the proper glass for this, and that would be the Weizen Vase. It's a very tall beer, very um, uh, curvaceous, um, what kind of flares out at the top and starts to come back in. A lot of that is to help uh, uh, this, this beer really has a fantastic head of foam on it. It's very moussey. You can almost carve a sculpture out of the stuff. Having the right glass will help uh, propagate uh, that uh, head and help hold it up high. Um, and it's a very tall glass so that you have a good um, amount of room for three to four inches of foam. And so that's why these glasses are very tall and very curvaceous is for the logistics of 
of setting this beer in it in the with the best foot forward. So Weizen Base is really the glass that this ought to be in. Um, and and if you're short of a Weizen Base, which that's like the only glass I don't have in my collection, I have a kind of like a Belgian tulip, but it's still the the shape of it helps hold the uh, the the foam when it when it's freshly poured. Um, temperature wise, uh, I. I I want this warmer than refrigerator temp. I want this in the low 40s um, to uh, low to mid 40s because this beer really changes in wonderful and surprising ways as it warms up. So I would encourage you to experiment on your own. Try it cold and let it warm up with your hand on the glass and, and see what you think. Um, now, we, now we get to talk about the best part, the pairing of this beer. Yeah, and let me let me kick it off where again because it's so sessionable. Um, I always like to say that um, intensity and pairing is half the uh, the battle. Yeah. Um, but yet you don't have to follow those full rules. Just remember though that this beer is rather delicate despite its complex layered profile. So you know a chev cheese, something lighter, a, a white cheese that's not overly aged is really going to go very nicely. Um, this uh, a Weizen with, um, and I believe Randy Mosier taught me this one, uh, a Weizen beer with some mozzarella cheese is basically like a grilled cheese together, right? <laughs> um, and it's creating the, 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 the big use of wheat malt in the Weizen beer or the Weiss beer is going to bring to the table and elicit the bread from that grilled cheese. Uh, so that's a really good one. Key lime pie we have on craftbeer.com, which I love the notion of that. Jeremy mentioned in his aromatic overview, you're going to maybe even go to lemon sometimes. If so, if why not put a little lime in there, right? Let's let's pair it with something with some light lime and see how that goes. So I love those suggestions out of the gates and I'll, I'll have you bring it home. Well, and uh, frankly, the, um, this is another, it's an interesting beer to pair with because of the carbonation, because of the wheat proteins, it can be quite filling. So keep that in mind. Um, uh, the other problem that you can have with this is the cancellation effect seems to be potentiated with this beer style I found. Um, uh, so it, it, the beer is in such perfect balance all of its own. If you add something to it, you need to be mindful because it can throw that balance off. That being said, I can't think of anything finer than a good mid-morning bratzit uh, with, with a little bit of uh, a vice beer and a bratwurst and maybe some uh, good Alpine uh, Swiss cheese. To me, that's just heaven. Well, you have you have me there. I, I want to. I want that for <laughs> breakfast and then lunch and dinner too. <laughs> yeah, like every day. <laughs> Awesome. But that, well, is, that, yeah, that is our discussion on uh, the German Weiss beer. Uh, and we have uh, more coming up with different versions of the Weiss beer. But for now, um, uh, Prost. Prost. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to Essential Beer Style, the essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. With advanced Cicerones, me, Julia. And me, Jeremy. Tune into the next episode as we continue exploring the world of beer styles and what to make of them. We encourage you to listen to the prepisodes to build your foundation and better understand beer styles. And before the next episode, I'd like to ask you to review the show and let us know what you'd like featured in upcoming episodes. Until next time, here's to you and your sense of beer style. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.